I'd like to welcome John to come up uh, one more time today and uh, share his heart with us. And let's welcome him in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. shoes this this afternoon this evening hope you forgive me that you know there's uh, there are so many stories in the Bible that I always uh, almost feel awkward sharing some of my stories you know because the Bible provides us probably all the stories we ever need but oftentimes we think of the Bible as this ancient faraway book in a time that is so separated from us and so I understand the uh, the importance of sharing our testimony and, and our story and I think when we do that uh, the Bible says that the uh, um, the idea of prophecy is is really the testimony of Jesus in other words when I when I testify of what the Lord has done in my life I'm really prophesying and saying if he's done it for me he'll do it for you if he's done it once he'll do it again and so really uh, in sharing any of these stories that I share tonight of just wonderful things that I would attribute to the to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and the life of the the people around me um, it's not because my story is any better than the stories in the Bible but sometimes I think it helps us connect and I think that's the reason we give our testimony which is really every testimony we give is really a a retelling of something that the Holy Spirit has done in our lives amen did you find that scripture John yeah, 4:20. if you want to write down uh, um, you know most of what I'm going to share are stories and you you know might not be noteworthy um, although I, I'm always ready to take notes during a uh, during a church service because one of the things I found that is a sneaky thing that the Holy Spirit does is in the middle of someone else speaking to me I'll hear him kind of sometimes take over the conversation and say that's that's what I'm teaching you there uh, that's that's not just him speaking this is this is me teaching you something and so, so you might want to jot something down or even something that's come to your mind that the Lord has done with you. Um, I just forgot what that scripture reference was he gave. Did you write it down? 1 Corinthians 4.20. 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God is not found in uh, the multiplicity of words, uh, but in demonstrations. And uh, uh, some translations say um, uh, demonstrations of the spirit and power and other translations say of Holy Spirit power. There are a lot of different names given to the Holy Spirit in the scripture. He's the spirit of grace, spirit of truth. Uh, he is the spirit of power. I like to think of creation as being the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in creation. I think we know that's true. Uh, but how did that work? And we, we think of Father as being uh, the architect, the one who developed the plan. Jesus as the word or the the full expression of that plan and so the Jesus spoke 
Jesus is the one who said uh, what the Father had planned. And the Holy Spirit, I like to think, if, if, if the Father is the, the plan and Jesus is the, is the speaking of that plan, you know, God said Jesus is the word, um, then the Holy Spirit is the wham. He's the poof. Uh, it didn't come into being apart from him. It came in, and, and at the resurrection, um, the Bible gives us a couple of, of ideas and, and understandings of how that took place. One, the testimony of Jesus is that no one has ever been raised from the dead under his own power. Um, so it was, you know, as because he was blameless and he had the power to rise, he rose. But who is the spirit that actually caused that nuclear explosion to take place in that, in that tiny little grave? Um, it was by the spirit that, that Jesus was risen from the dead. And so the Holy Spirit is not, uh, as, as we're all probably aware, Casper the friendly ghost or, you know, some kind of, you know, just breath or air, although the word in the Greek for, for spirit is pneuma. It's the same as the word for breath, um, which kind of is inferring he's, he's not of this realm. He's not fleshly and earthly and tangible like that, although we can sense his presence, um, and he is real. He's, I guess as we, as we grow in Christ, we understand the spirit world is really more real than this world. It's the, it's, it's the place where everything else sprang from. This natural world is really an expression of the spiritual world, not the other way around. So I was asked to and, uh, and uh, love to just kind of tell stories about, I guess what I would call some of my adventures with the Holy Spirit. I started out my my life in the Lord on an adventure with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I was 17 years old in the down in the uh, refinished basement of my parents' home in my bedroom. Uh, it was the day before my senior year of high school. I was getting ready to have a year full of excitement and adventure and partying and carrying on like a crazy person. And I was going to start that year off with, there was a band in town, REO Speedwagon, and I was getting all ready for a concert, and I was all buzzed up and ready to go and waiting for my ride. And all of a sudden, while I'm just kind of just laying in my bed, just waiting for my ride to show up, I felt the Holy Spirit's presence, what we would call the presence of Jesus, which is really uh, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's presence. And... Uh, I found my say, myself saying, I will, uh, everything that I have heard from when I was a kid through Sunday school and everywhere else about the Lord uh, is true, and I have to decide who I'm going to serve, what I'm going to live for. And I found myself pledging my life to Jesus, just unplanned, unscripted. It was poetic. One of the things I sit at, at the end of this kind of spontaneous prayer, and I had never prayed anything but the Lord's Prayer, and I, I remember I'd try to pray it with different voice inflections and with my eyes open and my eyes squinting and, you know, and different, you know, emphasis on different words, trying to extract uh, more heartfelt meaning out of it where it wasn't just by rote. But anyways, at the end of this this prayer of pledging my life to the Lord, I found myself saying, and and even poetically, uh, I will serve you to the extent that 
that your name will be the word on my last breath. And uh, I just feel this, that, that chill again as I, as I say that. It was so real. Uh, so the Holy Spirit, he's like, he's like a wind, he's invisible, he's like a breath on the one hand. But, wow, there are times when we so feel his presence and he is so tangible. So I've all, I have, haven't lived a perfect life, but I've had this life of adventure. Um, I felt that's a promise that God makes to us, that he hasn't called us to have a boring life. He's, he, if, if we live our life for him, it is, it is absolutely fantastically exciting. I've, uh, I've had the privilege of being in, uh, I think you said this morning, I think it was you that said, I've been in six different continents, and was it six? How many are there? Six or seven? There must be seven, right? Because I've been to six, and Antarctica still remains, but even the penguins need Jesus, so we're, we're hoping to visit the penguins someday. Um, I've seen wonderful things. I've seen some of the, uh, the seven wonders of the world, uh, seen Victoria Falls on, uh, on the border of uh, Zambia, Africa. I've been to 46 different nations. Uh, meet people from all over the world, seeing just wonderful things. Just last month I was in Colombia, South America, uh, in a city called Cartagena. Uh, it's one of the ancient walled cities of the world. Uh, just spectacular. Um, and in the midst of all that, what I was doing is uh, ministering with and to some folks there, and we just enjoyed such a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is not limited by our cultures or our opinions about things or where we are in the world. He is the ever-presence, ever-present presence of the Lord. Um, after I gave my heart to the Lord, I had the opportunity of being discipled by a bench, bunch of uh, Mennonite folks who had gotten kicked out of the Mennonite church because they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And so at the beginning of my walk with the Lord, I was kind of introduced to so much of uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what he's up to and, you know, not only the fruit of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit and um, fell into this uh, relationship with a new pastor in town who was a, a single guy. Uh, he's been married now for 40 some years, but when we met, he was the new guy in town and... Uh, he had lots of time available to disciple young men who had given their heart to the Lord. And we had this, this uh, um, gathering, this conglomeration of young guys who had uh, come out of all different walks of life, uh, found a place under his tutelage. Uh, probably about a group of almost 30 of us just kind of happened. Uh, within kind of a six or eight month period of time after I gave my heart to the Lord. When I gave my heart to the Lord, I was the only Christian I knew. No, no one else in my family was a Christian. Uh, they, were, they were religious and maybe churchgoers of some sort to some degree, uh, but nobody had a personal relationship with Lord in my family. I'm the first one in my family saved for as far back as we can look or count. And I was the only kid in my high school that I knew was saved. I, did, I didn't know the language of saved or born again. All I knew is I had an encounter with Jesus and the, 
the next day was the first year of my senior year of high school. And I just told everybody about this encounter I had with the living God, and it was just the craziest thing. And, and uh, uh, I was very popular. I was, uh, I was an athlete. I was also a drug addict. Um, I was smart. I excelled in academics and in school. I took all, you know, uh, college prep courses and all of that. I was on, you know, student council and, uh, and in one day I lost every friend I had because I was the weirdo because I had this experience with Jesus and I suffered complete total rejection from all of my friends in one day. And I was so excited to tell them I thought everyone would be happy about it, you know, just in my, in my uh, nativity, you know. Uh, and so then I uh, I didn't know of anyone else in the in the in the high school that was uh, a believer. Uh, through the course of that year, I met a couple others that had been kind of undercover believers, you know, kind of hiding out, not wanting to broadcast it because it was a it was a pretty pagan high school. And uh, that year, we saw almost eighty uh, percent of the students in our high school come to faith in Jesus. A revival hit our town, and it really, the, the, the center was the high school and the school system. Uh, the little church that I was being discipled in went from 40 people to 450 people in one year. And it was youth-driven. It was an explosion, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit hit our town. Every church in town filled up. Every church was full. Uh, it was across denominational lines. It wasn't one church that kind of carried the flame, you know, like some, sometimes we think of church like that. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. Um, out of that group of friends of mine, uh, that was about 30, 30 young men, and there were plenty of uh, young gals also, but we just had this brotherhood that just exploded that year. Uh, 25 of us ended up in full-time ministry. And the Lord's hand was just on us and moving on us, just making himself real to us. And so that's kind of where my story starts out. One, one of the stories that was really kind of cool is the Holy Spirit. He's not timid. He's not weak. He's not fragile. He's, he's God. He's the spirit of truth. Like I said, the, you know, the spirit, he's the one that empowers us in our, in our Christian walk. And sometimes I think we get a little mixed up in our theology where we don't want to make a wrong move in a worship service like we're going to he's going to get upset and he's going to you know become timid and just disappear he's patient he's kind he's he's durable he doesn't take into a, you know he's a he's a spirit of love he doesn't take into account a wrong suffered just like Jesus or the father don't and uh you know in our in our times together it's not always a Sometimes it's herky-jerky. Sometimes it feels kind of juvenile. Sometimes it's not very smooth. And I think we can come from a background where we can say, well, you know, the, the anointing's so fragile. Uh, but really, he's strong and he's powerful. And I began to discover that in some of the things. Uh, we, our town was, was a little Midwestern town in southern, south-central Michigan. And, you know, it looked like just your normal, sleepy little town. Uh, but boy, there was all kinds of demonic stuff going on. One of the things that was in the newspaper was this poltergeist kind of thing where uh, at certain times, 
and no one's ever figured out what times that was, but there was one house in town that a family lived in on the street that I grew up on. And there would be this, this physical hand that would just spend the day moving across the brick face of the house and then would disappear into the mailbox that was mounted next to the door of the house. And people would go up there and you couldn't knock it off. You couldn't, it wasn't tangible. It was like, what, what, like a hologram kind of thing you see in sci-fi movies, you know, it, it looks like it's there, but you know, your, your hand would just go through it. And uh, it, was, it was becoming a terrorizing thing within the neighborhoods, in the newspapers and all that. And uh, I got together with a couple of the, the kids in the youth group, and we were just totally radical. We, we just believed if it's in the Bible, it's real. If God did it then, he'll do it now and uh, God's a God of miracles and so let's pray so we we got outside that house uh, a group of us some of these guys and gals from our youth group and uh, we took some oil and we anointed the house and we held hands and prayed and that thing that had been happening consistently uh, every day covered in the newspapers and uh, the police were out there there were bullet holes in the house where the police one time said let's just shoot it you know and so they shot Ed, and of course that didn't do anything, just a bullet hole in the house. Uh, it, uh, it, it, it disappeared while we prayed and, and just never came back. Because uh, all it was was a demonic spirit manifesting, right? To trying to build intrigue and, you know, legend. And, uh, it's just a proud demonic spirit, a poltergeist spirit. But in the Holy Spirit, we have power and authority over that stuff. The, the neighborhood was afraid and terrorized. That was their response. But our response to conflict with the demon spirit was not fear but faith. So let's go. Let's move forward. Let's get rid of this thing. And, I, and I, that, that experience in the Holy Spirit with that demonic spirit built, began to build a confidence in me that God is God. The devil's not God. And the power that he has is all a delusion. It's all, it's all like a, a magic trick. It's smoke and mirrors. Jesus, Jesus defeated him at the cross 2,000 some years ago. And we don't have anything to fear. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God himself dwelling in us. We have nothing to fear. We got a phone call from one of the, the women in church who lived in kind of the creepy old schoolhouse on the hill that had been converted into a residence. And she called one day, and she was a little odd, and everybody kind of knew that. And the, the pastor, he was, uh, he was still single at this time, and she, you know, he wasn't ever sure if she kind of had an eye for him or not, and she was kind of odd and quirky and so she called and says, Pastor, I need you to come over to the house and pray. I think I've got some, some weird stuff going on at the house. And uh, so he asked me to go with him. So just kind of cover him and be together and go out in twos, you know, for reputation's sake as well. And we get to the house, and uh, uh, as we're sitting there in the living room, she had a staircase that went up through the center of the house with a door so that the upstairs rooms could come down the staircase and then enter into what was now the living room. Uh, but there was a door there. 
And as we're sitting on the couch having a cup of coffee and just talking before she's telling us what's going on, uh, all of a sudden there's this clamoring of children's footsteps on the stairway. And uh, pastor turns to her and says, oh, I thought your kids were in school today. Is, there, is, it, is it a day off? And she goes, no, they're in school. She goes, that's why I called you over to the house. And uh, there's this demonic mischief going on in the house. And uh, so, so about this time, you know, there's the movies out in my generation, you know, The Exorcist and, you know, all of these demonic movies about the power of demonic and, you know, possessing people. And, you know, that was kind of where the horror movies were at the time, you know. And uh, so he goes, oh. And we thought she was kind of nutty, so we thought, well, maybe the kids really are home or, you know, there's someone there. And so as this clamor is going on the steps, he suddenly gets up real fast, like he's going to catch her, you know, and maybe not telling the truth about where the kids are. And he opens up the door, and, of course, there's nobody there. And the sound stops as soon as he opens the door. And he goes, he turns around and he says, well, that's strange, isn't it? <laughs> and she goes, yeah, but that's not the strangest part. She goes, as soon as that happens... If I now go to the basement, like to do laundry or to run an errand down in the basement, it was just a kind of a normal concrete basement with duct work and a furnace in the middle. And uh, She says, the basement will be full of orange fuzz, like cat hair or something. And he goes, are you serious? And she goes, yeah. She go and he goes, well, let's check. So we go to the basement, and there's just like, like, there must have been a bag of cats that were all orange that got blown up with dynamite and all of their hair and fuzz was just, it, it, was, it was thick. It wasn't like dust like you dust. It was like someone blew insulation, orange insulation all through the basement. And everything's covered with this orange fuzz. Uh, the bicycles that are in storage down there, the water heater, the furnace, the ductwork, the electrical wiring, there's orange fuzz everywhere. And this, unlike that hand that we couldn't touch, we could touch this. So my pastor says, uh, I'm going to bag, bag up some of this stuff. So he gets a little lunch baggie, and he takes a handful, of he stuffs it in a bag, and he sends it to the University of Michigan, which has the largest, uh, uh, at the time, medical and zoological department in, in, in the United States. Zoology is the study of animals and animal life. And uh, we eventually got that back. And their assessment was, he, he, he put it in with a little form that he filled out and says, uh, of what animal or of what origin is this hair or this fur? And uh, they said, it is fur of some kind of animal or creature, but we cannot tell what it is. It's not a cat, it's not a dog. We don't have it in the database. So anyways, we left, and uh, uh, he says, we'll come back. But before we left, he says, what do you do when this happens? She says, we just vacuum it all, I vacuum it all up. She had like a shop vac. And we, we looked in the shop back. It was full of orange hair from last time. And now the basement's full of orange hair. So she got vacuuming it all up. And uh, we helped her a little bit. And then we left because it was just everywhere. And it was going to be forever. So she finished that up and her, her kids. And we came back about a week later. And... Uh, you know, we, we certainly talked about this, right? I'm like, what in the world is that? He says, man, I have no idea. I've never run anything like this before. And so we came back a few days or a week later, 
and we're sitting there again and uh, he says have you heard that noise since we've been back and she says no you know I haven't and uh, he says oh that's interesting and and she says would you like a cup of coffee so sure we had a cup of coffee and sure enough we no sooner turned our attention to talk about other things the Lord and all that that we heard the playing on the stairs again and as soon as it started this time Pastor Bob he jumped right up he opened the door real quick to make sure you know there was you know no Houdini kind of tape recorder thing you know, I mean you don't know what to think it's just so far out of your your thoughts of what is going on where is all this what is happening here so something that you see in a movie that you would assume would be exaggerated for you know a theatrical effect and uh, and he says so you know nothing there and then while he's standing at the door he opens up the basement door and it's all full of orange fur again and uh, so I says to him you know he's a man of faith uh, we talked about this and we're just trying to figure out what it is and he came to the conclusion, like I'm sure we have here tonight, this is poltergeist. These are demon spirits that are wanting to to affect the people and the community around a home. And they're just bragging about this power they claim to have. They're maybe moving objects or they're creating uh, sensational things to take place, making noises, making sounds. In this, in this case, they were actually somehow not creating but leaving this physical evidence behind that they that the house is full of these creatures, these demon spirits. And uh, so he says, well, if it's demons, that's no problem. We have authority over demons. You know, we have the Holy Spirit. And he says, well... She says, well, what are we going to do? You know, who do we call? Do we have to burn the house down? You know, she has no idea. How do you get rid of a, a bunch of demons who must be living in a house, if that's what it is? Well, we were convinced, and uh, we felt the, the Holy Spirit confirmed to our hearts that it's just, it's, just, it's just demons. And he says, well, we're just going to pray. And she says, do we need to anoint the house with oil? He says, well, sometimes we do. But he says, I think the Holy Spirit wants to teach us here that there's no magic in the oil. The power is in the name of Jesus. And so we held hands and prayed, and he says to her, I'm going to pray, then you're going to pray, because it's your home. But I, I assume you don't know how to pray, so I'm going to pray. You pray with authority, with faith, just like I did. And then when we're all done, we'll say amen. And this will never happen again. And she goes, it won't, just because we prayed? And he says, yeah, just because we prayed. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in his blood. We're going to claim the blood of Jesus over you, your family, and everything with which you have to do, and that no demons have a right to be mischievous in your life whatsoever, including your home. So we prayed, and sure enough, it never happened again. But weeks later, we got back that sample of fur, and uh, I, I spoke to him uh, just a few months ago, and I asked him, whatever happened to that packet of fur he says I still got that I thought oh my goodness that is so cool uh, never happened again there is uh, there's power in the name of Jesus and it is the Holy Spirit that is the spirit of power that brings all of the force of the shed blood 
and the name of Jesus that is above every other name uh, into prominence in our life. Things of the Holy Spirit. So that scripture that we looked at, the kingdom of God is not found in just a lot of words. It's not just found in preaching or teaching, but in demonstrations of Holy Spirit power. Uh, he, wants to, he wants to change our world. Uh, the devil has power only where it's not confronted by truth and he's getting away with it. But anytime you and I show up as sons and daughters of the living God who have the Holy Spirit not only in residence in our lives, but perhaps we've taken advantage of that post-salvation experience of being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, where there is, there is a greater endowment of power into our lives, um, man, our lives are fun. I look back at that story, and I think that is, man, that was an adventure in God. That was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. To see the devil bragging about how he, I own this territory, and uh, especially the basement, you know, kind of the dark, dingy place, which is, is interesting. Uh, and then Jesus, just by being invited into the situation, and for this woman rededicating her life and all that she has to the Lord, canceling out any power that the devil would want to exercise in her life. Uh, just totally cool. There was a time where uh, some things are sensational and some things are, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's so every day, we would almost miss it if we weren't paying attention. Uh, it's it's almost boring. Um, but I'll tell you some of the more, more interesting ones because I think those are the ones that, that catch our attention. I might throw in a couple others here. Um, I've always heard reports of people who had like smuggled Bibles into the former Soviet Union or China. and uh, You hear about people being arrested, but then you also hear about people who the Lord says just walk on in and it's like they're loaded with Bibles or you know they're a, they're a missionary and the police are looking for them and the Lord says just get up and walk down the street and they get up and they walk past the cops and it's like everyone's just looking through them it's almost like they become invisible to to those who are looking to to capture them there's a scripture in the Bible where it says uh, there was a time that everyone got all you know upset with Jesus and the religious leaders were looking to capture him and take him prisoner and uh, before his time to be taken and it says and, and so Jesus got up and just walked through their midst it's just like and I don't know how that works or what that exactly means but in, in my understanding it's like he just was invisible to them they, they just couldn't see him um, a miracle certainly there are times when we've been in the Philippines planting churches and building farms to, to provide for the churches that we would uh, we'd pull up to uh, roadblocks in the mountainous areas that are, that are under the control of the, uh, uh, the, the guerrillas and uh, back in the day Al-Qaeda. And, wow, if someone catches us doing what we're doing over there, you know, we're a prize. They'll... They'll send, they'll send a message back home and demand kidnapping money. You know, so it's, some of the mission work we do is very dangerous. 
and uh, we're loaded up in the van. We've got a couple of drivers in the van, and we have military escorts with machine guns and all this kind of stuff. And then we'll have we'll go come up to guerrilla roadblocks in the mountains, and and they'll stick their heads in the van and they'll say to the guys in the front seat, uh, "Nobody else in the van today, you know? What are you doing?" And it's just like they're they're just looking like like we become invisible to them. Uh, it's totally a miracle. And you know, we're all back there wondering, oh great, you know, are we going to have to get out of prison? Are we going to have to write our senator? You know, are they going to demand hostage money from our families? And and, uh, and and the guys in the back of, in the van with us are military guys with submachine guns. And, you know, they're supposed to be there for our protection, but we didn't even, their protection was useless compared to that shield of faith or that hedge of fire that the Holy Spirit put around us where the people who would want to do us harm couldn't even see us. And we'd go through the roadblock and we would all just begin to cry and, and just thank the Lord. It's like we, we realized, oh my goodness, we just experienced a supernatural miracle where God hit us in himself so that even those who wanted to do us harm couldn't see us. And we know of other stories where people have had deliverance out of prison. Uh, you know, we know the story in the Bible where Paul and Silas are in jail singing praises at midnight and suddenly there was an earthquake and, you know, the chains. And we know the story of Peter where he's in prison and an angel slaps him on the shoulder and says, get up, Bubba, let's go. And the chains fall off his arms and suddenly the angel's not there anymore, but the prison gate opens by itself, you know, for Peter. And, and suddenly he realizes, I'm not having a dream. This is really... And we're sitting there in the van thinking... Are we all dreaming this? Did we ever leave the hotel this morning? And and sure enough, it's happening right there. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us, hiding us as we go about the work of the kingdom of God. you got to wonder how many times have people driven by here and had plans to do harm, to do damage. Sometimes they do, and and we find out who they are and we forgive them and God's got another thing he's doing but how many times have our lives been in danger and God subverted that whole thing and here we are today and didn't even know it happened you know the story of our nation's founder George Washington where he would go through battle and there'd be gunfire in the distance and all of that and then he'd get back to his tent and he'd realize there's a hole in his cloak, and there's another hole in his cloak, and there's a hole in his hat. It's like he didn't even know that he was being shot after. And, and uh, when, when, when the French at one time solicited the help of the Native Americans to, uh, to, to war against the, the new government, uh, the, the angels, the angels were, or the, the, the Indian warriors were convinced that somehow George Washington was like, half angel half man because they know that in their hunting skills they had him in their sights yet they just couldn't hit him and it was like they thought the bullets were going through him where actually there was probably angelic deflections uh, how many times in our lives is the Holy Spirit at work performing miracles and we're just not aware of it I think sometimes God opens our eyes and it just, it scares us. There was a time I was, uh, I was 18 years old uh, 
my pastor thought it would be a good idea for me to be a a door-to-door door-to-door salesman of student learning materials because um, he saw in my life that I that I had a fear of rejection he says the best way to get rid of the fear of rejection is to be a door-to-door salesman <laughs> because you are rejected over and over and over again until you realize it is nothing for someone to say no thanks I don't want your stuff or to just shut the door in your face or you know like telemarketers how many had telemarketers call on the phone and sometimes you try to be polite, but after a while it's just, you realize this is a telemarketer, click. You know, you're just going to hang up because it's not even worth the conversation. But there's that urge on the inside of us that says, well, wait, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Trust me. The people on the other end of the phone, their feelings are not hurt. They have suffered that a hundred times every day. I know. I was one of those salesmen only door to door. You can slam the door in my face. You can jump up right now and w say I hate you and walk out of here. And I'm just going to keep on going. It's not going to phase me because I don't fear your rejection. And I don't fear your face anymore. So what's that? I need that. Well, good. Receive it in Jesus' name. Uh, let's stretch our hands this way. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. You deliver us from every fear we have. We just declare you are free from the fear of rejection in Jesus' name. And that Holy Spirit would strengthen you would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation to you, just like in Ephesians and Colossians chapters 1. In Jesus' name, just receive that. Amen? Amen. So I'm, I'm walking through this sales territory. It's, it's I don't know a soul, uh, except my roommate who's on another quadrant of the, of the city in, in Iowa. So we go to sales school in Tennessee, and the last day of sales school, they tell you where your territory is, somewhere in the United States. It's all college students. And uh, they, they tell you who your, who your, uh, your sales partner is going to be. You don't know until the night before. You two are partnered together. And uh, your territory is, and my territory was Muscatine, Iowa. There's a big sign outside of the little sleepy, little hot, humid town on the banks of the Mississippi River. And it said, welcome to Muscatine. Never had a tornado. That was their claim to fame. They never had a tornado. I mean, like... What's up with that? I'm thinking, man, I am in Nowheresville right now. And uh, <laughs> Muscatine, Iowa. So anyways, I'm, I'm walking through this neighborhood. Everything's concrete in the Midwest. It's not asphalt. It's concrete. And uh, the sidewalks, the curbs, the streets. And sure enough, uh, I'm, I'm thirsty. It's about 100 degrees out. It's humid as the day is long. I'm just walking around hoping to show my books to some young parents who might want them for their kids, you know, study materials. And I'm exhausted. I'm looking for like a 7-Eleven convenience store. And I walk into this block uh, commercial building. It's about the size of a convenience store in the middle of a neighborhood. And I realize as I walk in, it's a butcher shop. It's a, it's a multi-generational family butcher shop. Walk in the front door and there's the the, the glass display case with hamburger and steaks and pork chops and and then right behind the small counter is a big plate glass window and you can see grandpa and dad and the son and the uncle back there you know sharpening the knife on the marble countertops and you know beef hanging back there and it's refrigerated it's, it's just like you know in the Norman Rockwell kind of setting and I walk in and, and everybody's just looking at me like this 
and I'm thinking this is strange you know I, it's, I, I have that same kind of look on my face because I'm expecting you know a, a vending machine with coke or Pepsi in it because I, I just want a Pepsi that's all I want and I walk in I've got this kind of confused look like oh I was expecting you know candy and snacks and cokes and uh, but they're looking at me the same way I'm looking at them and uh, they just don't say anything you know no one says you know can I help you they're just looking at me and so I so I says uh, oh well excuse me I started to interrupt I thought this was like a 7-eleven I'm looking for a coke and uh, or I said I'm thirsty I, I was just thirsty I was looking for a coke and uh, Finally, the, the woman, who is probably about 40 years old, and the daughter, who's about 18, my age, uh, the mom says, uh, uh, no, we don't, we don't have any vending machines. You know, we're just a family butcher's, butcher shop. And I says, oh, well, where can I find a 7-Eleven? You know, I'm just a sales kid selling books. I'm new in town. And she goes, uh, like, she can't think, you know, there's something strange going on I, I, don't, I don't get it they're acting really weird and she goes well you go down a couple blocks and you go left and the girl goes no mom you go right and so the, the directions are all weird but somewhere down here there's a 7-eleven at a main road so I start okay, okay so I go thanks you know and I go out and the door clink 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 you know behind me a little bell hanging there on the little self-closing door thing it's just like just like you'd think of you know an old town you know 1950s America so as I'm walking down the street, uh, I'm about two blocks away, and suddenly the, the old guy, he, uh, he, he was actually the dad. His name was Everett Rainier. Um, he was married to the, to the mom who was behind the counter, but he was like 25 years her senior. He married very late in life. And uh, that, that girl was his daughter. And so he's like 65 years old, and he's a big guy you know not tremendously overweight but he's definitely stout and he's he's running down the sidewalk after me and hey hey wait wait hey hey hang on wait and he's taken off his his uh soiled butcher thing and uh he i i, I says me he goes yeah yeah wait hang on hang on hang on i gotta talk to you and when he gets to me, he's so out of breath, you know, it's like, I hope he doesn't die right here. You know, he's this old guy that just ran two blocks, you know, in a hundred some degree heat. And uh, he goes, hold on. So about 30 seconds later, he catches his breath, he can talk. And he looks at me, he says, are you an angel? <laughs> I'm like, technically no. <laughs> no, I'm not an angel. I says, what do you mean am I an angel he goes no really he says I need to know are you an angel and I says no I'm not an angel he says man you have to be a spirit filled Christian and I said well yeah I sure am and he says well, praise the Lord I says why would you ask me such a weird thing he says you don't have any idea do you I says no I don't know what you're talking about he says when you walked into our shop the place lit up and it was like your head was on fire with this glow and he says he says I know now it's the anointing you must be a believer and the hand of the Lord was just on you and we saw it but he says that's why we couldn't talk 
We, we didn't know what to say when you walked in. We didn't know if you were an angel or the Lord was visiting or what. I said, you're kidding me. I says, is it, is it still glowing? He says, yeah, it's still glowing. I'm like, you know, looking for a shadow. You know, there's completely blind to the whole. Have no clue what's going on. Well, I'd just gotten saved six months before. And, and I was determined to walk with the Lord. And the Lord connected me as a young man away from home. He says, he, so he says to me, once he's convinced I'm a human being, he says, here's the deal, young man. You're having dinner at our house every Friday night. We are your family as long as you're in town. And, and they were, he was like a father to me. And we sat in his home, and I was there more than every Friday night. I was there every night I could get over there because God had given me a family. But what he did in that, see, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just, you know, uh, uneventful, something that you could deny once you were away from the situation. It was this undeniable evidence, proof, that God was in this relationship. And he was providing these people to me as a young man who was away from home, probably could have struggled in all kinds of area in my new faith, that God was building a hedge around me, a hedge of fire. And who I really was and who I really am on the inside, because we are all alive unto God. We are new creations in Christ Jesus uh, that that spiritual young man that I was on the inside was just visible to him. It's like God opened his eyes to see it. Just like uh, the story in the Bible where was it uh, I'm not sure who it was. I think it was Elisha or Elijah. Maybe Elisha where uh, they're outside. Was it Jerusalem? They're surrounded by the armies of Syria or Assyria or somebody. And and the, the prophet's all cool and collected about it. Like, no big deal. He's just walking in and out. And his servant is like, oh, man, this is doomsday. This is the end of the world. Uh, there's no way God is going to win this one. And the prophet prayed, Lord, open his eyes. And his eyes were open. And as soon as he prayed that, his eyes were open, and he saw that the hills were full of angels on fire and fiery chariots ready to do battle on behalf of the Lord. It was right there all along, but his eyes weren't open. You know, the Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to truth, to the reality of a situation. He gives us visions and dreams. And I found to expect every day, or um, I, 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 I've learned to be prepared for it to be commonplace. In, in my life and in our lives and in my children's lives and my, my, my grandkids' lives and the lives of the people that I, I do church and life with, uh, that we should become expectant for Holy Spirit to reveal himself to us or to open our eyes to something or to bring us into situations that can be scary like what was scary to that prophet's servant until... He really saw what was happening in the spirit realm behind the scenes. 
So Holy Spirit, he's the one who opens our eyes. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who, who uh, is the confronter in creation. He's the wham. He's the power of creation. We're invisible in the Philippines, yet we're glowing. I'm glowing like an angel in Muscatine, Iowa. The place, if you remember, has never had a tornado. Um, he, he reveals mysteries. Um, tonight, bef before we wrap up tonight, we just want to um, prophesy as the Lord leads us over a couple of people uh, as, a, as a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's gifts because the, the scripture says we can all prophesy as long as it's decent in order and with a spirit of comfort and, 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 and love and caring and encouragement. Um, but so often we say, well, I can't. I never God would never speak to me directly with a prophecy, but man, he longs to, he wants to. He wants to open up these things to us for the glory of Jesus and for our blessing as his children. He wants to do these things. So sometimes he reveals stuff. I remember a time where uh, I was a young pastor. Uh, I think I was probably 27 years old on the the founding uh, pastor of this mission base in Maine that is still our home church and we had a, a, a woman in, in church who was the uh, principal of the big Christian school in town and her son uh, I don't know why but his name was Elvis I, I don't know why a Christian leader would name their son Elvis because uh, he was kind of you know the you know the picture of the rebel of the 50s and 60s but anyways and he was he was a rebel and he was always embarrassing her up to some ridiculous antics. And, uh, but he, uh, he was always running with this questionable crowd, kind of the equivalent of a gangster today or the guys that he was running with. And they, they were at a party, someone's parents were out of town, they had a big beer party and they're all in high school. And when the parents get back into town, the father realizes that the handgun he had hidden in the closet in a shoebox uh, was missing and there was probably someone at the party who took it and Elvis who's this good kid who's always running with these troublemakers uh, everyone ratted him out and said well he must have been the one who took it you know because the rest of us you know we're all buds and he's kind of the new guy in the group so it looks like he's going to take the rap for stealing a handgun at an illegal underage beer party while the parents are out of town so he can't really say, hey, look, I'm a good kid. You know, why would you blame me? Because he's, he's there with the ruffians at the illegal beer party while the parents are out of town. And uh, so anyways, so the mother says, uh, we have to go to court tomorrow. And this is like a Sunday night church thing like we're having right here. And very informal. We're all just talking like family. And so Sister Edith, she stands up. She goes, um, I'd like us to, to, to pray about this situation. And, uh, you know, that, that, you know, Elvis, who's been falsely accused that uh, the boys who are guilty of this would tell the truth in court. And, uh, and we're like, yeah, absolutely. You know, the truth needs to come out. And, you know, we, we, we love this kid and we love her. And, and uh, so she says, well, Elvis, you know, go on up there and, you know, pray. And, uh, Elvis stands up and he walks up front and... Uh, one of our other elders, who at the time was my, my brother-in-law, Steve, as he walks up, we turn to each other, and we say to each other at the same time, 
He stole the gun. You stole the gun. The Lord just gave us a word of knowledge, right? That one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We just knew this kid stole that gun. And so he says to Elvis, we say, Elvis, uh, he didn't hear us have that exchange. But what I said to him, I, the Lord recalled that story in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, in the middle of the church service, they're claiming that they sold a piece of land and they gave the profit of it in the offering. And then Peter stood up and he says, how would you dare lie to us and the Holy Spirit? The feet of the young men, you know, they dro he drops dead and then his wife comes in. And then Peter says, uh, uh, do you agree with what your, what your husband said about you know, the land and the money and all that? She goes, yeah. And he goes, oh, the feet of the guys that just drug your husband out of here to the morgue are coming back to get you. And she drops dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. In the presence of the Holy Spirit, they lied. Well, Elvis, he grew up in kind of a Pentecostal church. He knows all these stories, right? So the Lord puts in my mind, I say, Elvis, remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the Bible, lying to the Holy Ghost. And... Uh, he says, yeah, he starts to shake. And I says, you stole that gun, didn't you? He says, I certainly stole that gun. He turns around and says to everybody, I stole the gun, and I'm not going to lie to the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and so so that, that's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, a, a word of knowledge, where you don't know why you know. You don't have any external evidence that this is true. You want to believe even the opposite. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit makes it so clear with a word to your heart that you know something at this moment that you did not even think about knowing the moment before. It's, it's how the Holy Spirit is. He's, he, he, he sees it all. The Bible says that he doesn't just know how many hairs we have on our head, right? That, you know, know the scripture, Jesus said that. If he cares for the sparrows, if he cares for the flowers... He cares for you. He has numbered every hair on your head. That doesn't mean that he knows how many you have. Like, this young man has a whole lot more than I do. That he's got, you know, 200,688, and I've only got 688. Yeah, that sounds about right. He doesn't, know, he doesn't know how many the number are. He has numbered each one. He knows on my head that that's hair number one, and this is hair number 856, and this is hair number 23. And he knows the number of each. He's given each hair a name. He is so familiar with everything that is going on in creation. Nothing is hidden from the Lord, right? Nothing is hidden from him. And he can expose what he wants to expose, and he can hide and cover what he wants to hide and cover. It's the glory of the Lord to hide a man but it's the glory of kings to seek it out. So this is all the, the work in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I began to read the stories of the Bible differently. Uh, once I be, began to think about the Holy Spirit and how he interacts with us, interacts with mankind, interacts, how he loves those of us who, who love Jesus and and have experienced the Father's heart. And then I... Then I then I got introduced to this whole prophetic thing. And 
up to this point, I really hadn't been introduced to it, but it really became a, a front and center issue with me. And I began to understand, I developed this kind of working definition of prophecy that might be really helpful. If, if you don't have it now, you can make an adaptation of it maybe. Um, prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit, but the Bible also says of the Holy Spirit, he will not speak of himself, but what he hears, that he will speak. So he never... He never draws attention to himself. He always uh, gives glory and honor to Jesus or the Father. The Holy Spirit never jumps up and says, that's me, I'm the Holy Spirit, I did all this. He will always give the credit to Jesus and the Father. Within the Godhead, the Trinity, there's that kind of selfless humility at work that we also are called to, to, to function in ourselves. Um, we are to love our neighbor. Uh, uh, we're to love our brother more than ours. So we're to love our neighbor like ourselves. But then over in John 16 or 17, Jesus talked to those 12, and he says, you're, you're to love each other more than yourselves. Um, that's the way God is. The Father loves the Son more than he loves himself. The Holy Spirit loves Jesus more than his own reputation. Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, the great emptying of Christ, he emptied himself and took on the form of bondage. He didn't think of equality uh, with God to be something to be wrangled for or grasped at. He, he freely gave up all of his reputation as God the Word and took on the form of a man and took on flesh and, and came as a servant. Um, the Holy Spirit's like that. And so the Holy Spirit, even though prophecy is a gift that he brings into our lives, he, he doesn't speak his own opinion, and he doesn't glorify himself, but he basically communicates to us the love that the Father has for us and the affection that Jesus has for us so that uh, prophecy isn't just telling us stuff we didn't know. You know, it's not all, you know, shazam. Uh, ooh, sensational. Sometimes it's just so simple. The Holy Spirit locating us as we sit or walk or live and saying, wow, that one there, uh, they could really use a word of encouragement. So I'm going to stir the heart of another believer to, to speak to them about how much God loves them. God has a plan for them and remind them of the truth of how much Father loves them. So really prophecy is the Holy Spirit communicating to us this great love and affection that Father has for us. So I'm down in Argentina about 15 years ago, first time I'm down there. I'm being invited down to do a series of national, uh, they call them congresses, you know, we call them conferences. The popular word in other parts of the world is a congress. And uh, we're ministering at this, at this first one, and I hear the Lord say to my heart, kind of in a prophetic, knowing way, um, don't lay hands on everybody like you normally would. You know, so for me, laying hands on someone would be to reach out and put my hand on them while I prayed. But I heard the Lord say, give every single person that responds to this altar call a hug. Just give them a hug and say nothing. 
And it's like the Lord wanted to give them a, a, a living, flesh, tangible prophecy that he just loves them. They're responding in their heart, asking the Lord to touch them in some way. And then the guy who is the minister, me, just gives them a hug. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a, a modest, appropriate guy as well. I think there's a right way to do that. Uh, especially as a man toward women, you know, so I always kind of give them the brother hug, you know, I'll kind of turn my hip and I'll kind of pull their shoulder into my shoulder and kind of give them a side hug. Uh, but sometimes as I do that, I'll, I'll actually put my hand on their other shoulder, you know, so I want to, I want to be a, not inappropriate with my touch, but always be a safe place because our, the father's heart is a safe place for us. Right. And, uh, Wow, I was just the fact that I was touching a woman anywhere other than right here as I prayed for her. Oh my goodness, did that stir up a lot of the, the religious leaders. But every single person that I touched or hugged, same thing in this, in this ministry saying, everyone I touched was with a hug, began to cry uncontrollably. And it was such a sign to me that God was at work releasing, convincing people of his affectionate, deep love for us as his sons and daughters. And not just the guys were crying, but all the women were crying. There was mascara everywhere. And, and, and the pastors, uh, and I was very limited at the time. I'm, I'm not, not really good with Spanish now, but I was really not good then. Uh, are complaining to, to the guy I'm working with who's like a spiritual son to me, Noel. Uh, tell him he cannot touch women like that, especially in church. And uh, so Noel is saying to me, we have a problem. Uh, all the pastors and all the organizers, they're saying they're not happy with, with the way you're touching them. And I so... I, I kind of had this prophetic word of knowledge to solve this. I says, okay, I understand their concern. Have them line up. Because they were not receiving ministry yet. They were kind of taking the position of the, the leaders, letting the others receive ministry and going to see how it goes. So I said, well, have them just line up. And, uh, and after this, I will change the way I'm doing this if they'd like me to. And so he says, he'll change the way he's doing it, but he wants to pray for you first. And uh, so they lined up, and the first one, he's standing there like this. And I walked up to him, and I just took his, the back of his head in my hands, and I pulled his forehead next to mine. And I kissed this man on the cheek, and he just began to weep and to shake and to cry, and he falls on his knees as I'm praying for him. And I go to the next one, and I just take his hand, his, his face in my hands, and I says, gracias, And this man just begins to, to break and to weep. And he's, he's, he's like screaming, crying, like crying out in, like you would at a funeral or at the death of a loved one, just as the love of God is just forcefully piercing his heart. Who's doing that? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's doing this. Who gave me that insight? Man, I am not smart enough to think that up. That's Holy Spirit. He gets all the credit for that. Um, and we went down the road. There was like 30 ministers who were participating. And 
and this is the first of the of the citywide event and uh, every single one of them there was one of them that was standing there like this and I was uh, if I could read his lips I, I think I could read his heart he was like not me I'm not falling for it you know like he was gonna resist it and stand his religious ground and I walked up to him and I just looked at him and I smiled and I just loved him with my smile with my face and I I saw tears start to come to his eyes and I put my hand on his shoulder yeah sure and, uh, and he just broke he just began every single person there was well over in, in in all these meetings combined there was probably between three and five thousand people in the series of six or seven meetings there are no exceptions no exaggeration on my part every single person had their heart just pulled open like open heart surgery when as God just poured his love into the the, the people of the city I still don't know what to think about that, but I can't deny that that scripture that we that we wrote down that we looked at the the kingdom of God is this kingdom of his dear son it's a kingdom of light it's a kingdom of love and when we make the appropriate emphasis of who the Holy Spirit is and his gifts and his love for us and his working among us and through us and in us that we can't go wrong it is so much a part of a fulfilled joyful successful Christian life we can't we can't have the successful life God has for us and to know his love and to, to feel his pleasures and his affections and his and his touch upon our life if we neglect the Holy Spirit. To, to go deep into the things of the Holy Spirit doesn't make us weird or unstable. It makes us strong. It makes us lovers of God because we know Him deeply and we trust Him even more so. So I've got a whole list of stuff here. Uh, I'm going to start, cut, you know, I'm going to cut a little bit shorter, maybe, maybe share another one. Should I share one more? How are we doing for time? Okay. How far are we now? We're about 50-ish. Okay. Well, let, let me share another one. And let me share another one, then we'll minister prophetically just a little bit. Okay? Um, how'd you like that glowing like an angel story? Isn't that crazy? I'm a 19-year-old kid. I have no idea what's going on, but that's what the Lord did. Yeah. Um, you know, healing his his power over our bodies to to heal us, to fix us. I was going to tell you a story about uh, one of the young men in our group was always short. I mean, short, short, like, like. You know a growing defect short and uh, the one thing he wanted from the Lord his name was David was to be taller and uh, there was uh, uh, just your not famous speaker at a church 
you know, just like me being here today, you know, known in Rochester, if they knew I was here, would come. They don't know who I am, right? Uh, was was speaking at this church service, and uh, he called up David. He picked him out of the crowd, the short little guy, and says, uh, I just heard the Lord say, ask me for what you want, and I'll give it to you. And, and David David said, I want to be taller. It's the only thing he wants. He's so short, he's constantly in a little squirt and ridiculed and all that. So the, the, the evangelist guy called him forward, laid his hand on him, and right before all of our eyes, David grew like two feet. And then, and then the evangelist says to him, how's that? And he goes, that's too much. <laughs> And he shrinks down. He says, say when. And David <laughs> says, right there. And he was a normal height for a kid his age. He just wanted to be normal. I've never seen that before or since. I've never seen anything like that. But I thought, oh, my aching back. What just happened? But the one I want to share with you is I went and saw a, uh, an evangelist who is probably the most ridiculed evangelist because he's quirky. Uh, <laughs> and but my goodness he, he had authority over demons and so many miracles took place and there was one of the girls in our youth group who was deaf in one ear she was born deaf and so she had no eardrum no bones there was a, a birth defect in I forgive is it a right or a left ear but one of her ears and uh, she, she was aware that so many healings for the deaf took place in this guy's meetings. So we drove to the town in Ohio and we stood in line and the line was, the, the, the church building was like in the middle of the inner city projects. And the line went all the way around the huge city block, people waiting to get into that meeting. And I was standing in line toward the front because we got there almost two hours early just so that we knew we would get in. We ended up almost in the front of the line. And, we're, and, the, and whenever someone was terribly handicapped or broken, would get in a line that the ushers would be walking along the line and they'd get them a place in the front of the line so they could get in, certainly, and not, not even not get a seat. And uh, so I was standing next to, next to this old woman who, who reminded me of a woman who might be someone who would be pushing a shopping cart with plastic bottles in it around town. She's just totally worn out looking. And but she's not pushing a cart with bottles. She's she's pushing her son or her grandson, uh, who is in this hermetically sealed plastic envelope with oxygen tanks on the wheelchair and tubes going in for him to breathe. And and so I'm standing next to this, and this kid is, this kid is, I mean, he's just, he looks like he's wasting away in this bag. So obviously he had some kind of immune deficiency thing, you know, because of the bag, and he was certainly, you know, crippled and twisted, and he's being carted around by this old woman and uh, in this rickety old wheelchair. 
and I'm standing in line, and the whole time I'm just, I'm just praying for this kid under my breath, saying, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do tonight, but, man, I sure hope he's one of them that whatever happens, it happens for him. And uh, we were about five or six of us in our little group, and we're there with Debbie. Uh, Debbie's main name is Prysock. She was the girl who was deaf in one ear. Well, during the meeting, this guy uh, says, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said there are angels moving through the aisle with healing on their fingers uh, for deaf ears. I'm thinking, this is so far beyond my paradigm. Like, angels with healing on their fingers for deaf ears. But here's Debbie. She's, she's deaf in one ear. And so the evangelist guy says, just lift your finger in the air. An angel will touch your finger. Just lift your hand as a demonstration. And then put your finger in your ear. And I'm sitting right next to Debbie. I, it must have been her right ear because I'm sitting on her right. She lifts her hand. And we're all just praying in the spirit. And she puts her finger in her ear. And I hear this. <laughs> sound. And I'm thinking, oh, whoa. She takes her finger out of her ear. And she says to me, she goes, say something to me. So I says, Debbie. Her eyes got real big. Her an eardrum formed. The bones that weren't there formed. She could hear. So the, meet, the meeting wraps up, and it's, it's closed. And the kid in the bag still sitting on the front row with his grandma or whoever that was. I mean, she looked so old, she had to be his grandma. You know, no young woman could look that bad. You know, she was wrung out. And, uh, but we're sitting there, and we're, we're up in the, in the balcony. And everyone else has left, but we're just sitting there just worshiping the Lord. We're just crying. We're so thankful for what happened to Debbie. So the whole group of us, and the evangelist is gone, and the guys are like his bodyguards and his singing group. They're gone, and all the musicians are gone. And the cleaning crew, like in a sporting event, you know, the bleachers empty out and there's all kinds of, in church I call them sheep droppings. You know, there's little tissues and coffee cups and water bottles, you know, and, you know, so the cleaning crew comes up with the brooms, cleaning up all the sheep droppings, right? And, uh, and, uh, and this woman and, and, the, and the kid in the bag are the only other people who had come for the meeting that are still there and they're still in the front row. It's like this woman is just in faith. She's not going to let this go. She's not going to leave, I guess. I don't know what's going on. And I didn't even see them until all of a sudden from behind the curtains comes the evangelist guy. He doesn't know we're in the balcony. At least I don't think he does because we're just, we're just quietly just praying and just thankful for the Lord before we have the long drive home. And uh, I see him come out, and I see him walk down in front of this boy. And it's a, it's a theater, so his voice projected right up the seats into the balcony without a microphone or anything. And he says, young man, in the name of Jesus, come on out of that bag. And all of a sudden, it's like this, this bag bursts to life. And there's this, there's this person in this bag that's, that's tearing and ripping this bag apart. And this old woman starts jumping and shouting and running around the front like a crazy person. And this perfect preteen, 11 or 12-year-old kid, full of strength and vigor, jumps out of this bag. And the evangelist just turns and walks back behind the curtain. 
No record of it ever could hit the paper. No one would ever praise him or say how wonderful he was. I don't know if the bigger demonstration of the Spirit was the humility of that evangelist to not pray for that kid during the service or to wait till no one... And I thought of what Jesus did. Sometimes when he'd heal somebody, he'd say, like the leper, you know, the first leper he healed. Don't go tell anybody. Just show yourself to the priest and offer the appropriate sacrifice. Oh, but I want to tell everybody. No, don't tell anybody what I did. It's not about me. It's how much God loves you. And Jesus was always pointing everyone to the Father. It's not me who does these things. It's the Father who loves you who's doing these things through me. That's an act of the Holy Spirit, right? We can't give credit to anyone else, but these things are real. And I thought, you know, if I weren't there to witness, witness that, the world including me would never knew that happened except that kid and his grandma how often is God doing things for us and we just don't have the eyes to see it he's, he's moving all around us there is an outpouring of the spirit that is taking place in our lives in our generation right now what's going on in Iran there's a move of the Holy Spirit more people are coming to faith under the iron hand of the Ayatollahs of Iran than anywhere else on the planet right now. In China, where this corona thing is just ravaging the nation, there are churches of believers that, that are saying, we're not afraid of that, and they're ministering to the masses like the original Red Cross did. You know, they'd walk into these disease-filled uh, uh, hospital rooms and minister to the sick and dying, and and hundreds and hundreds of people are being healed instantly as the church ministers to them many are dying and being comforted in their death but many are being healed we don't, we don't hear anything about it except through underground channels of christian communication the networks will never carry it but it's happening in our day right now at the same time more christians are dying for their faith in jesus than any other time in world history there are more martyrs more people will die for their faith in Jesus tomorrow than died today, than died yesterday, than died a year ago. So at the same time the darkness is darker, the light is brighter. At the same time the devil's flexing his muscles and saying, look at me, I'm terrible, be afraid of me. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to flex his muscles. He just has to show up. And we just have to welcome him. And we just have to walk with him. Amen? So we are in a time of great adventure. It's a time for us to awaken to the things of the Spirit, maybe like never before, and not be ashamed. I've always been surprised as a, as a believer where oftentimes people who have had encounters with Holy Spirit, there's like this religious uh, uh, lid that the devil wants to put on the works of the Holy Spirit and the testimonies of those who have who have been touched by the power of the Holy Spirit to not talk about it, to be quiet about it to, to feel second class about it and uh, this is the day like that kid in that plastic bag to just break out to break out to receive the love of God uh, to receive the things of the Spirit to become convinced of them like never before